This is a conversation with Adam Nash. Adam's a good friend of mine now and also one of our clients. He's an absolute legend. This dude has overcome a heap of gnarly shit. He's overcome chronic pain. He's overcome addiction. He was actually addicted to opiates. And I don't know know if you guys know much about those things, but they're like painkillers. They're really, really fucking gnarly. In the US, it's the opioid epidemic is like a really, really big problem. And here it is as well. And Adam's managed to overcome both of those things while he's been working with us, not only did he do that but he also tripled his testosterone he also increased his sex life he fixed his relationship and he's in like the best mental space that he's ever been in his life he's now living his life with true and extreme purpose which is absolutely phenomenal and what we've done in this conversation is we've broken down with some some of adam's difficulties that he's had and we've gone through and we mapped out exactly what he did to get to where he is now because he's come a massive massive long way from being in a really rough position where he was addicted where he was in pain and he wasn't living life the way that he wanted to to the point where now he's absolutely crushing he's the man that he wants to be he's the dad that he wants to be, he's the partner he wants to be, and he's absolutely dominating in his career as well. So if that's something that entices you and you think might be interesting or helpful for you, then please watch on because you'll get a lot out of it. And we're live, man. Thanks for coming back on, dude. Anytime, brother. Mate, this is going to be a ripper. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really pumped to have you back on here. Like, obviously, before this, we were talking about like what we wanted to chat about, what we we're going to get you on for, and like, totally want to just chat with you about addiction and like your, like what you went through, and all the bullshit that you had to put up with. Where should we start with that, man? I'd say back at the start, what caused my addiction? I'd say back when um 2018, woke up one morning excruciating pain down in my abdomen went down to the doctors and the doctor thought that i had appendicitis so he rushed me up to the hospital it still took him two days to decide to take my appendix out and then when they did they sent it off to the pathology and it come back that it was fine there was nothing wrong with it didn't need to come out so losing organs when i didn't need to spent the next probably six months in and out of hospital doctors couldn't work out what was going on it's just extreme pain in abdomen, and then it moved into my back and then started going into my legs. So they did every test under the sun that they could think of, still couldn't find anything. Spent most of the time in the gastric ward, had that many MRIs and X-rays that I wasn't allowed to have anymore for 12 months. And so after all the tests and not being able to figure anything out, they stuck me on a ketamine infusion for nine days, I think it was. It doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> I was in La La Land for, for a long time. And then when that, because the ketamine space to reset your pain receptors, apparently, that didn't work. And so they pretty much got fed up and said, look, we can't do anything else for you. We're going to send you home. The afternoon I come off the infusion, I didn't even get a chance to sort of like come down, I guess. It was just like took me off it and then sent me home with a prescription for Endone and Oxycontin. Spent the next couple of months on that. Ended up with a really, really bad addiction. And then when they stopped working, they put me on a morphine patch. And uh, that's when the real, real bad addiction started. I ended up taking more and more and more of the oxy and endone when it wasn't working it probably only would take maybe 20 25 percent of the pain away and then in the end i got really really addicted to the feeling that the opiates give you 
mm. pretty much medical grade heroin, I'd say. Yeah, and just taking more and more and more when they weren't working, I'd have to take more and more and more and more. And um, just got really addicted to the feeling of being high. It even got to the point where I was thinking of ways that I could hurt myself so that I could get more and stronger ones. That's a fucked up thought, man. Oh, it's really bad, man. Like uh, I was thinking about it the other day, thinking over the last couple of days about what we were going to talk about and just thought, you know, I need to be as honest and open as I can for everyone out there that may be going through the same thing or dealing with the same sort of stuff that I did. But, yeah, it got to the point where I was thinking of ways to hurt myself so that I could end up back in hospital and get really good stuff. Did you ever do anything to hurt yourself? No. That's no, good. I did. Yeah, yeah, you know, it, it got to the point where I wanted to, but the smarter guy inside my brain was like, what are you doing? You know, stop it. Don't be doing that. Yeah, so it was... A good two and a half, nearly three years that I was taking the endone oxycotton. The patch is called Norspan. It's just a transdermal patch and you put it on your arm or on your back or just somewhere where it's not going to annoy you and it sort of like releases it into your body at an hourly rate. Mm. That was really addictive. And it got to the point where I was going down the pub for dinner with the boys or even the wife, the boys, their missus, I'd take take me packets of tablets with me. I'd pop four or five before dinner, knowing that if I had them before I ate, they'd work better and work quicker. So, yeah, I was going to the pub, man, just down and all these, mixing them with beer, mixing them with bags, and um, got to the point where I was losing friends because they couldn't handle to be around me. And see me going downhill. Like I tried to help me and everything, but I just didn't want the help. And it got to the point where my best mate pulled me aside and said, "Look, you, this needs to stop, man. It's really starting." What were they to- noticing? Like, why? Why were they? Why were you losing friends? I was exhibiting extreme behaviours. I'd get really, really, really high and just do really dumb shit that no one wanted to be around, making a fool of myself. And um, yeah. It got to the point where my best mate actually sat me down and it took him a week, he said, to work up the courage to um, sit down and have a chat with me and say, look, if things don't change, you're going to be by yourself and you're going to have no one, man. Like, I want to help you. We all want to help you. But you've got to take the first step sort of thing. How'd you respond to that? I was embarrassed. to hurt to know that people were thinking thinking about me that way. You know, I didn't want my closest and dearest friends thinking that I was like a drug addict, but I was. So, yeah, he, he sat down for a week and even wrote down all these notes in a little notebook and pointed things out as he went through the conversation with me and said, look, this is what's going on, man. I don't know if you can see it, but this is what's happening and you need to stop or you're going to be pretty lonely. Why did you decide to stop and change instead of – fighting what he had to say because deep down at the back of my mind i knew that i was out of control i knew i had a really 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 bad problem and i didn't want to lose any more friends like i did lose lose a couple of really close friends best man in my wedding don't speak to him anymore and yeah i just thought i can't keep doing this it's gonna kill me and yeah so i took his advice and went and saw my doctor it didn't stop there and then though took probably three or four months to come off the endone and oxycotton, but I stayed on the Norspan patch for another 
well, until I joined JCF. And that was like under orders from the doctor. He's like, look, you can't just stop all this stuff, cold turkey, or it, it could kill you. So slowly, slowly we started cutting down the dosage of the Norspan patch. Like I was up at 40 milligrams per hour, I think. Mm. And each couple of weeks I'd come down five or 10 milligrams to the point where I was down to five milligrams and I stayed on that, I think, for two weeks and then got completely off it and that was the one of the best days in the last couple of years. I bet, man. Why was it you decided that you wanted to reach out to us? Because I remember our first chat. You weren't exactly in the best way, you know, to put no. it lightly. So why no. did you decide to do something about it then and actually get help as opposed to just, you know, because there's an old saying, which is it's easier to pull the splinter out of somebody else's eye than to pull the, the tree trunk out of your own, right? Like why did you decide to work on yourself then and there as opposed to just palm it off? So it was mainly for my family, man, my kids, my wife, like from the period of getting out of hospital to up until the point where we had our first phone call, the shit was getting really, really bad, like really bad. My marriage was breaking down. I was turning into an absolute prick. Yeah, so? Uh, so I became really, so not physically abusive, but mentally and emotionally abusive towards my wife and I could blame that on the painkillers, say, oh, you know, it was this, it was that, it was making me do it. But at the end of the day, it was me and I was heading down a pretty dark path and just being an outright prick for no reason at all. She'd say something that I didn't like, I'd go off my head, just scream and call her some pretty bad names, you know, that you can't take back. But um, we've worked through that now and things are getting better. But the main reason was for the family, man, for my kids and my wife. My kids were just seeing me on the lounge, zonked out every day. But don't get me wrong, the pain the pain that I was in was um, pretty bad, really bad, and I did use that as an excuse for a long time. I was just, you know, like, poor me, why is this happening to me? wanted all the help in the world, but I didn't want to help myself. And then I just one day woke up and thought, I can't keep doing this, you know, the effect that it's going to have on my kids, they're going to grow up thinking that, the way I'm going is the right way to act, which it definitely wasn't. And just wanted to be the man that my wife fell in love with when we first met. And yeah, and then one night after work, I was come across one of your videos and I thought, this is like the thing that's going to help me. We're going to give it a go. So I spoke to the wife about that. And um, she said, well, you know, what else have you got to lose? You may as well give it a go. Yeah, here we are. Why did you decide to take that risk? Because one one of the things that like I see all the time with dudes is we don't back ourselves enough. Whenever there's no. something risky, there's this thought of like, what if it doesn't work, right? Yeah. And there's always that thought, not what if it does work. It's always what if it doesn't work. What if it fails again? Like what if yeah. what if it, it doesn't work? We think of all these doomsday scenarios of shit can, that can go wrong if we change. What made you push through that? Like, why did you get through those doubt demons as opposed to letting those things own you like most men do? See, for the longest time, I, like you said, I didn't back myself. I was always looking at the negatives, like this is what's going to happen if you don't follow through with it. You're going to look like an idiot. People aren't going to respect you because you never follow things through. But some, like I, I don't know how to explain it, man. Something inside my head clicked after hearing what you had to say that made me think, you know, this could be my saving grace. And like I said, I thought, what else have I got to lose, man? And just booked in that phone call with you. 
Just did it and took the leap. Well, how much do you think that mindset, right? Because as you said, you, you never followed things through in the past. No. Like you just, yeah. you never did it. You couldn't keep your word, couldn't stick to it. How much of a role do you think that played in you being like staying addicted for longer than what you should have? I was the, played the biggest role when I was on the medication, on the painkillers. And I, I don't get me wrong, I did want to come off and like I did want to stop, but the shadow as christian calls it my shadow kept telling me this you're gonna be in a lot worse pain if you come off them you're never gonna get that feeling of being high anymore you just pretty much you're a piece of shit you can't do it that little voice in your head huh you just kept yeah going. man where do you think that voice came from it came from years and years and years of self-doubt and not being confident in myself to be able to see things through i think so from you not seeing things through repeatedly over time shattered your self-confidence. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly right, man. Okay. Exactly right. So when was the first time, I don't know if you can remember, like when was the first time that you felt that 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 shadow, that little ego, that the voice in your head talking? When I was a kid, man, like I was diagnosed with ADHD at a young age. My son's got autism he's, and he's just been diagnosed too with ADHD. But I struggled a lot through school socially and academically just not fitting in, always wanting people to like me. And when people didn't like me, I thought, oh, you know, this is all my fault. I've done something wrong. Yeah, it's been there from a pretty young age. I'd say probably like 14, 15. I'd get into trouble a lot, class clown, trying to make people laugh, but doing really dumb shit. And then when I'd get punished for it, I'd be like, hey, you dickhead, you know, you've brought this on yourself. This is how your life's going to be. Nothing's ever going to change. And I just stayed in that mindset for years and years and years and years. Mm. It's funny, isn't it, with school? Because I know because I, I I did heaps of dumb shit at school too. But you look at like when kids are fucking up and doing really stupid stuff for attention, the first thing that a teacher or, or someone in, in authority will do is to punish. When in fact that kid's just reaching out for help the whole time. It's this really weird thing that the punishment doesn't correct the behaviour. It's we need to have like more positive affirmation around this and like talk with the kids like, hey, what's actually going on? Like, what are you actually doing this for? I know it's difficult to raise with a teenager for sure, granted. But I just find it funny how we're still so punitive focused and we're still so punishment focused when it clearly doesn't work. It's ridiculous. Exactly right. right. Exactly right. Absolutely. I've, I've tried to take a different approach with my son, knowing what I went through and trying to trying to deal with it in a different way rather than you're a bad boy, you did the wrong thing, you're naughty, you're punished. I don't believe in that. You need to find the root of the problem and deal with it specifically for their needs, I think. Totally, man, 100%. There's no point in going through and doing these little Band-Aid fixes. Did you find that like, as you were going on through life, even after school and whatnot, did people continue to punish you as such for the way that you were? Yes. In what ways? So I was very socially awkward. I'd do really dumb shit, try and make friends. I'd waste my money trying to buy friends. Um, when I got into my teenage years and started having an income, you know, I'd go and shout 200 bucks worth of piss to people I didn't even know, just trying to make friends with them. And then when that didn't work, it would like really shatter my self-esteem. I'd be like, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I make friends? Why don't people like me? And I just, I think thinking about it now, just dug the hole deeper and deeper. Mm, totally. 
it's quite an interesting thing, like because you look at like where you are right now, like you don't give a fuck. <laughs> it's like just like you're, 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 you're just, you're just, you're it's just like it's just who you are, right? So why do you feel that back then it was so important? Like why were you trying to please so many people? Like what gap were you trying to fill? It's a good question. Loneliness, I think, because I did struggle so much to make friends. I was quite lonely growing up and trying to fill that hole by getting people trying to be around people that might not necessarily have liked me as a person, but they tolerated me there because buying piss, I'd do dumb shit to make them laugh. Just trying to fill a hole pretty much. So how would you go about meeting your missus then? (laughs) This is a good one. So after a big night in town on the pingers and whatnot, searching through Facebook, just looking for random people, and then she popped up and I said hello. I said, just made up a complete bullshit story. I'm like, hey, you remember me from the pub last Friday night? She's like, nah, not really. I'm like, yeah, you were pretty pissed. You probably won't remember me. Yeah, we just hit it off from there, started talking, started meeting up. And 11 years later, here we are. And I didn't actually tell her that I didn't like that I didn't know her from the bar of soap until maybe six months a year into the relationship. <laughs> Very smooth. So what, what effect did it have on her? Because she would have seen you like all over the place, highs and lows and all that. Like what effect did it have on her? It really fucked her up a lot, man. Like from um, from back when we first met, I was a completely different person. Yeah, I liked to party a lot back then, but I wasn't as angry and wasn't as angry and the way that I had turned into over the years, a lot of drug abuse, a lot of drinking, a lot of partying just not living the right sort of lifestyle takes its toll on your mind and your body. Mm. Well, how did you fix it up with her? She could see that I was trying over the years and nothing was really working. I just kept trying, kept trying. Every time I'd fuck up, I'd be like, sorry, babe, you know, I love you, won't happen again. And it just happened again and again and again and again. Did like a whole lot of drugs, man. I got a really addictive personality and I spent years just partying party, 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 party. And then when she could see that I was trying to get out of it, I think that she could see that I was trying, but it wasn't working. And things have only just, like, don't get me wrong, we loved each other to death. And I know she wouldn't have put up with me for this long if she didn't love me and um, wanted to make things work. But until I joined up with you guys, things weren't really getting better, man. They weren't moving forward. They were just the handbrake was ripped up and I was just stuck at a red light for years. Mm. Well, what was it that actually allowed them to move forwards? Allowed you guys to? So the fact that I actually took a bigger step than I was in trying to get help and trying to fix myself, yeah. She knew that I wanted to change and she knew that I loved her, but I couldn't get out of the rut that I was in. It was a really deep hole, man, really, really deep hole. It's funny how much how you don't have to be perfect. You just have to show effort. And that effort itself is the thing that often matters the most, right? Exactly right. right. You know, it's crazy it is because we get like several hundred guys each week reaching out and chatting with them backwards and forwards over Messenger and whatnot. And it's amazing how many dudes have the same sorts of patterns and same sorts of issues where we like we've issues around like taking drugs or drinking or, or like whatever it is. Like there's all these different things, which is super, super common. And it's yep. a lot of us are just trying to escape from pain. And that's what it ends up being. It's just like taking a, taking a drug, drinking, food, like even addicted to business, addicted to sex, porn, all that sort of stuff. It's just one big escape from pain, right? It's pretty fucking crazy. 
It is, man. Um, and I didn't think about it that way until I joined JCF. Like everything that I was doing was just, like you say, Band-Aid, man, just trying to block out the pain and block out reality when really you need to focus on reality and fix the source, find out what the source of the problem is. Because everybody's different, man. Everybody has different needs. Everybody's in a different, maybe not a different situation. We all might be in sort of the same situation, but everyone has their own different set of problems that they're trying to deal with. But instead of just putting a Band-Aid on it and trying to cover it up, you need to get to the root of the problem and then work on that. Totally. Well, why don't the Band-Aids work? Why, why doesn't just pop in a few endones on a, on a Friday night and numb the pain? It does numb the pain to a point, but you can't spend the rest of your life trying to hide from reality and hide from your problems because then your quality of life is just going to be shit, man. Like in order to have a productive and high-performance life, you need to be on top of your game. You need to work out what your problems are, how to fix them, and just really, really work on crushing life instead of pretending to crush life. Why is that important for you to actually crush life? Because, you know, we're only on this earth for maximum 90, 100 years and in span of the universe, man, that's a really, really short time. And instead of wasting it with artificial happiness and artificial highs, why not do it naturally and get the most out of this short amount of time that we've got? For you, what's the difference between an artificial high and artificial happiness with pure like endogenous? normal like man like you made adam nash adam nash made happiness so artificial happiness and artificial high is that quick that quick like hit of serotonin dopamine all that stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah dopamine serotonin. what's the difference in feeling for you what's the difference between feeling it and, and meaning between getting dopamine from getting a shot of endone versus dopamine from doing something awesome with your kids so the difference would definitely be the feeling that you get from painkillers or, or medications. It really, really numbs you. And, yeah, you might be having fun. You might be high. You might be feeling really, really – your body might be telling you that you're feeling really, really good. But in reality, you're not. Whereas doing stuff with your kids, it's nothing compares to that. You know, you know you've done it all on your own. It's not – you haven't been helped by something – artificial it just now everyday life man is like my endone for me going to the gym is like popping an endone getting out in nature with the kids watching them have fun that's my endone now but why do you choose because it's a weird thing right why do you choose to get your endone from doing that as opposed to just taking one because just popping one is the easy way out man there's no real result you haven't had to put any effort you haven't had to get out of your comfort zone. You've just popped a pill and half an hour later, you're feeling good. Whereas getting it naturally from living a high performance, really, really good life, it's it feels better. feels mm. like you've There's earned Something it. about discomfort. Hey, you know, one, of the, one of the things that like I, I do every day is I make sure I'm fucking uncomfortable. So I'll be doing like an ice bath, cold bath in the morning, preparing for the next man weekend. I'll be making sure that like, like even when I meditate, I make sure that like I'm uncomfortable and trying to form a really, really good relationship with pain and with discomfort. The one thing I've always found is that whenever I'm comfortable and too comfortable, that's when, that's funnily enough, when that unhappiness sets in, 
when we actually have this continual search of comfort and easing our pain without actually having to work for it. One of the coolest things I found and one of the most satisfying things is when we actually solve our discomfort by us doing stuff, by like working to continually solve our discomfort. It's the same reason why guys who started with no money and then make shitloads of money are way happier a lot of the time, not all the time, but in generally way happier, way better with that money and largely more successful than the guy who's given absolutely everything because the guy who's been given every, absolutely everything hasn't known that pain of being fucking hungry, hasn't known that pain of not having. It's just there. It's not appreciated. It's not as, exactly. it's not as good. It's crazy, huh? It is, man. It is like to earn something on your own is really satisfying, but just to be given something, obviously I haven't been given millions and millions of dollars, but I can just imagine all those trust fund kids out there just being given all these millions of dollars and they just go out and blow it. They might be having fun. They might think that it's fun, but in the long run, they haven't earned it. And I can't imagine that it would be terribly fun. I grew up with a lot of them. Like I went to a wealthy, like private boys school in Sydney and then grew up around with a lot of guys who were quite wealthy and some who were trust funds and stuff like that. And it's quite funny to see that it's like, they're really awesome dudes. They're really fucking awesome. Like lovely guys, every single one of them and very generous a lot of the time. But there's also something about where they're just, they seem a little bit lost. Like with each of these guys, they haven't, there's something very important about suffering which we all often under, underestimate, I think, because suffering is the key for growth. It is pressure, it is stress that allows us to grow as human beings. And if someone doesn't have that and we don't allow people to suffer, as weird as it sounds, we actually aren't really allowed to truly grow. It's like with the lobster in its shell. The thing that causes the lobster's, lobster's shell to grow is pressure. As the lobster grows and grows and grows, it forces its shell to grow. And that's what we need to be as well. I mean, choose another cheesy analogy. Diamonds are made under pressure, right? Everyone knows that. So the only thing that makes someone like really awesome is having stress and pressure. So with that being said, dude, like what's next for you? Like what are you going to, how are you going to grow? How are you going to become even more of a high performance man? So my next goal is getting jacked like really, really putting the time and effort into getting Jack, not just, you know, get a little bit of muscle here, get a few abs, but like really, really looking good. That's my next goal over the next couple of months. Obviously, we've locked down and everything. It's a little little bit hard. I haven't been able to get to the gym. That sucks. But just trying to stay mentally strong, keeping up the chats with Christian. He's a fucking legend, by the way. What effect has um, Christian had on you? Like, that's, well, for those, those of you guys listening, Christian is one of our, our mentors who works with us and helps Adam. Like, what effect has he had, had on your life? So he's totally changed my thought processes, the way I think about life. Before I met you guys, even spoken to Christian, I wouldn't think outside the box. It's just get up, do your shit, go to bed. The world's round, blah, blah, blah. I'm inside my little box. I don't need to think outside the box. But he's really got me thinking on a bigger picture. What effect does that have on you by thinking on a bigger picture? So by changing the way you think, you open yourself up to more opportunities, I think, especially with meditation and just trying to think of an example. Like, um, for, for example, with gratitude. When we first started the program, I thought that gratitude and thankfulness was just like saying, oh, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful that we've got our health. I'm thankful that I've got a roof over my head. But it's it goes deeper than that. Like an example, crushed one of my goals for the year actually the other day. Got my um, truck license, and Christian asked me in our last chat. He goes, "Give me an example of 
what you've been grateful for lately. And I could have just said, oh, you know, I'm grateful I got my truck license. But instead of just saying that as a singular, you got to, I broke it down into parts. I'm like, I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to go and do it. Thankful that the instructor took the time out of his day to teach me. Thankful that I had someone that was able to pay for it for me, like my job agency paid for it. I was thankful for all different aspects of that one as a whole, if that makes sense. Mm, totally. What effect does um, that being more like having more gratitude had on you? So it's been really helpful in this lockdown time. You could focus all your energy into being sad and depressed. We can't leave our house. We're in lockdown. We can't go and do anything. But instead of thinking about the negativity of it all, why not think about what you do have and be grateful for the things that we do have instead of just focusing on all of the negativity. But don't get me wrong, lockdown's been hard, man. Not being able to go to the gym, not being able to do the things that we're used to. But sometimes you've just got to take a step back and zoom out. I found that I was really zoomed in for a little while, especially after my injury with like the infection I got in my knee after the man's weekend. I think it was only two weeks after that. I ended up being out of action for six weeks and I was too focused on the muscle mass that I'd lost, the definition, all the work that I'd put in. And so I had to zoom out and look at the bigger picture and think that, look what you've look what accomplished over the last six months. Why can't you do that all over again? Totally. Yeah. Cool, man. Dude, I love your outlook and I'm really, really pumped to see how much you're going to dominate over the coming weeks and months. Hopefully we're allowed out. Hopefully the powers that be allowed us out of our little homes and, and let us come do like the man weekend in October. Fingers crossed. Um, mate, every, everyone needs to get to the man weekend. What are the man uh, weekend? And by the way, for those of you guys listening, like a man weekend is something we do for a bunch of blokes just like Adam. We've got a really awesome cross-section of just fucking wicked dudes. Guys are at all different stages of life. And we just come down together and we crush some weights, crush some burgers, and we crush life together. But like Adam, like what effect did the coming and doing the man weekends with us? Like what effect did that have on you? It was another awakening. The fact that there's other guys out there that all want the same thing as you, are all on the same path to glory, all trying to reach the top of their summits and to be able to come together as men and just hear their stories, see them grow, grow as people. It's, it's really inspiring, especially with the meditation that we've done. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but Michael, he is a fucking legend of a human being, man. If you, if you're listening, Michael, you're a legend, mate. Yeah. It was something really special just to be around like-minded guys to want the same thing as you do. Really encourage each other and sort of bounce off each other. It's something that everyone needs to experience, man. It's really cool, man. Yeah. You had a massive transformation. That was pretty fucking awesome. Dude, it was, let's say I was reborn. Big time. I like that. Reborn. But dude, (laughs) thank you very much for coming on again. It was a real pleasure to have you on here. Uh, Anytime. I'd appreciate the opportunity to, to share my story again and hopefully inspire some people to just to live life to the fullest and, I just think that everyone needs to get onto JCF, man. If, if there's anyone out there struggling and can even relate to what I've been through and my story, give James and the crew, crew a call and, and you well, won't regret it. That, from, from your perspective, who do you think that we could help the most from your experience with us? Guys that 
know that they're in trouble, know that they want help, but don't have the means, the knowledge, and the tools to help themselves. Like I've, I've been to the gym a couple of times before, never saw anything through, lifted a couple of weights, expected um, results overnight, but it never come to fruition. So I just gave it up. But if I had known back then what I know now and learning from you guys, I probably would be a lot better off. See, if I had known about you guys years ago, mate, I'd be like a next level by now. How so? Just by being able to see, and I, I can't actually find the words to, I'm still coming to terms with my change and what has changed me, but just knowing that you've got someone to help you lead the journey up your mountain towards your summit is a really helpful thing to have because if you just go into something without knowing what you're doing, you're going to fail most Mm. of the time. But with your guys' support and help and knowledge, anyone can do it, man. Yeah, that's what that's what we uh, we try to do. We try to make a plan so good that even if you shouldn't get results, you still do. <laughs> exactly right, man. Exactly. Like to get my testosterone levels from six up to an eighteen in I think it was ten, eleven weeks. Ten weeks was, was amazing, man. Just the shift in my mindset and the feeling of having energy and being happy and knowing that I was gonna see this through was even better. Yeah. <laughs> You absolutely crushed it, man. Dude, I'm pumped for when we have you back on again in another few months. It'll be cool to see the transformation again. Can't wait, man. Um, I've got got to say thank you, man. Thank you to you and Christian and Liam and Harry and Sean and all the the coaches, man. Like uh, You guys are changing people's lives for the better. And like I always say to you, man, you should be fucking proud of yourselves. My pleasure, man. Look, I'm just very blessed if I get to work with guys like you, huh? It's pretty cool. Oh, it's unreal, mate. And I appreciate and love you all. Love you too, dude. <laughs> All right, man. We'll wrap it up there, but thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Too easy, brother. Anytime. Cheers, big fella. Thanks, mate. I hope you enjoyed the video. If you got something out of it and you want to learn more, Click the link below or type in High Performance Conversations with James Can, and you'll be able to check out all the podcasts that we've done. We cover a stack of different topics, everything from getting your mojo back, overcoming anxiety, self-doubt, self-esteem, and learning from some of the industries and some of the world's top performers in both business and in health. Look forward to having you on there.